I'm Jason Bailey-Losh, and you're listening to Seeing is Forgetting, conversations on contemporary art and culture in Los Angeles and beyond. One of the great pleasures of doing this show is that I get to sit across the table from some really amazing individuals. I had thought about doing this interview for a very long time, and it was thanks to my friend Madeline Warren that this was able to be set up. Today's guest is Jenna Elber, the artistic director of the Martha Graham Dance Company. We had a wonderful conversation in New York City, sitting in her office of the, uh, the company, and she was incredibly gracious and forthright and really gave me so much insight into Martha, how the company works, but also, if any, anybody knows me, I am a total geek for Osama Noguchi and that collaboration between Noguchi and Martha Graham. And in fact, all of those collaborations between Graham and her, her counterparts at the time. And if you look back, you see individuals coming out of that company like Merce Cunningham. It influenced everything that came after it. One of the amazing things about the Martha Graham Dance Company and what Janet has done with it since she has been in the role of artistic director now for many years is she has transformed it into being an archive for dance and into something that is a living archive that contributes to the future of dance and the future of collaborations between artists and dance, musicians, choreographers, dancers. The scope of what they do there now is vast. Janet was one of the principal dancers of the Martha Graham Dance Company, so her experience isn't only as an individual running the company. It's an individual who was a participant of and a collaborator with Martha. I just got to say thank you so much for taking the time, Janet. And thank you, Madeline, for really making this happen. So here's Janet. taking the time to speak with me. My pleasure. Especially on a day where you are getting ready to <laughs> do auditions. Right, right. We have about between 90 and 100 hopefuls upstairs. Oh my gosh, I didn't realize it was that many. I follow Martha Graham on social media and I'd seen that you put a post out for auditions. Mm -hmm. How does that work? How do people get auditions with the company? We do an annual audition that is open to everyone. Oh, it's not that it's not selective in terms no, of not at all. If we have an emergency and we need somebody, somebody gets injured and we need somebody, we'll have a small invited audition. A small pool of people yeah, that you will like go exactly. to. Exactly. And hopefully we'll discover some people today that we would put on that list. Because uh -huh. um, we are required to do annual auditions by the dancers union AGMA. Oh. So we don't always need So you could two, be doing three, this audition percent. and you could have a full company. Exactly. You are the artistic director of the Martha Graham Dance Company. Right. And in that role... In that role, the Martha Graham Dance Company is sort of the name that everybody knows. It's actually the Martha Graham Center of Contemporary Dance. So there are three divisions under that, the Martha Graham Dance Company, the Martha Graham School of Contemporary Dance, and Martha Graham Resources, which is our licensing business and our archives, um, oh. sort of that kind of extended right. development of our assets. So the, I'm the artistic director of that 
of the whole world. Right, right. Well, I came in to actually start Martha Graham Resources. You did? It was at the end, we went through sort of a terrible intellectual property court case about 10 years after Martha's death, where her heir claimed the rights to her ballets and all of the materials, et cetera, et cetera. Long story short, the Martha Graham Center emerged as the Rightful owner, owner of those yes, pieces. Yeah, for the most part. Some was in public domain. Her heir got a couple of ballets. It was a complicated decision. But as our assets were determined by the court to belong to us, we decided we needed to do something, do something with, with them. Assets. It was like right. a huge closet of 75 or 80 years of posters and programs and sets and costumes and business records and uh, over 2,000 films and videos. And Well, you had just mentioned to me before we started, too, how many costumes do you guys have for all the different shows? I don't know how many we have right now, but when Hurricane Sandy hit yeah. four years ago, uh, there were about 5,000 down in the basement. That blows my storage. mind. I didn't realize yeah. there was that, that breadth well, we, of... Uh, there were costumes down there from the... 40s, 50s, 60s. I'm talking about the 1940s, 50s, yeah, right, right, right. and some of ballets that Martha, you know, were they were performed twice and then disappeared from the rep. But we still had a set of costumes in a box down. Things like that. So there was a lot of work to be done as our assets were determined to be ours. Um, to organize them, to begin databases. What we started with Martha Graham Resources in 2002 was um, uh, organizing all of this stuff so that we could not only monetize it, but it's a living archive. We use it every day as we reconstruct works. I had to go back to an old film to see the original gesture, the original opening gesture that I had danced but had evolved since I danced it in the 70s and so you go back through then and look at the film of the different dancers to go yeah go along so yeah, you just see can, who's done what in each one of those that's dances right. generations of dancers oh that's amazing we try to go back to the original in, in this case I wanted the original gesture um, in in other cases what is the What's your goal in doing that? Are you doing, are you staging that again and you're going to have... We are staging it So you want to see how you want to do that on stage. That's right. Martha lived so long that she redirected her ballets from generation to generation. As they're going to with any artist, Exactly. And as she understood that the audience was getting more sophisticated and with a shorter attention span... Well, the dancers changed. And the dancers, the facility changed. And she incorporated all that newness into her classic choreographies. So she was con constantly updating That's these correct. as they went That's along. right. And now we have a new perspective of several decades. She's been gone since 1991. She's being appreciated for the modernist that light. she was. Yeah. And we're trying to go back to the starkness of the original gestures, the starkness of the original costumes. In some cases, she changed the look. She would create a world with Noguchi and with the composer. Yeah. So changing the look of one costume may have, at the time, been okayed, refreshed. But maybe now it needs to go back now it into needs to go back. where it was originally. Right. And that's where you're at, reinvestigating where it was. My job is to reinvestigate where it was, but not, we, we do not want to play Mozart on the original instruments. We want to find design elements that are important to the original impact, but not try to force our dancers to, you to want to dance like the dancers of the 1940s. Right, so they need to be able to do the things they're doing correct. today and work yeah. in a way, but still reference that. Right, but still be in sort of the purest 
um, structure Com of a dance that we can do. So was there ever a time then that Martha was strict about her thoughts on what couldn't change or what could change? Martha was strict about many things, mainly her standards of excellence. Okay. And she never said, I have standards of excellence. And, and she never really spoke about it. There was just an expectation when you were in the studio with Martha that you were to give 100%, 100% of the time. That was in your personal approach to your work in the studio. It was not mimicking what she, she didn't have a, a role model that you were supposed to mimic. You were, you supposed, were supposed to be yourself. To bring yourself to it. And that's and why she picked you to be a dancer in that's right. the troupe anyway. You had to be ready to be vulnerable, to bring your own emotional journeys to dances, to be totally present and creative. Because she wanted to get that. She's collaborating. That's correct. At the same time That's as correct. she's creating. That is correct. And and in the dance world, people think, oh, that diva director comes in and tells you exactly where your smallest fingernail should be and where the elbow should be. Quite the contrary. You she, don't find that to be, I'm sure sometimes that's the case, but often it isn't. Sometimes it's the using. case, but it was not the case with Martha Graham. I think it's quite, a, the stereotype is out there because, <laughs> you know, it's, it exists. Right. But it was far from what she, her expectations were that you would bring yourself heart and soul and imagination into the room. And she would draw on that like she did on uh, her other collaborators, Noguchi or Copeland or anyone. Okay, so a little background we haven't talked about, we talked about you being the artistic director, but you mm -hmm. were also a principal dancer for the company right. as well, too. Yeah. At the age of 21? Or uh, yeah. close to, right? Pretty around in there. I was still in college. Right. Um, I was here in New York City. And you came out of Juilliard? Juilliard. Mm -hmm. Your junior year, I believe it was. That's right. Did you finish Juilliard or not? I did, but I was dancing with the Graham Company and getting credit. That's got to that. be so intense. It was fabulous in you retrospect. I, yeah, I mean, I didn't think, oh my God, this is so exhausting. You know, I mean, I didn't, you were that like, crossed my mind. It was like, <laughs> I get to go and dance with the Martha Graham Dance Company and get credit like, for it. how amazing is this? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we were talking when we walked in the door about, um, you're getting ready for the auditions, and that's how this conversation started, but I had just recently, and I guess this um, circles back into you being at Juilliard as well, too. I'd just seen and recently heard an interview with Kevin Klein, and he was at Juilliard, and he talked about how when you're cast or you're brought into, or he was brought into the school even, like you were just saying, when you cast for Martha Graham as well too, you're not mm -hmm. casting necessarily the best dancer that's available. Right. You're casting for a specific part that you need. If you need somebody who is five An foot three or yeah. like, mm -hmm. and, and Kevin Klein said the same thing. They cast him as a lead leading role because they had all the character actors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how do you go about how does this function then when you walk into an audition? It's very much the same thing. It's, when I walk into an audition, you know, I remember the years of Doing being yourself. on the other side of the desk. So did you do this yourself when, when you Not came for the in? Graham Company, no. I, you I didn't. was No. I was um, at Juilliard and some of Martha's top dancers in the company were teaching there at Juilliard. Bertram Ross. Um, being the notable Ethel Winter, Helen McGeehee, these are big Graham alumni Huge. names who are okay. all still dancing with the company while they were teaching. At so Juilliard. is that common now? Do your yes. company teach at Juilliard yes. as well too? Not not current members of the company, but some of our greatest alums are at Juilliard. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. However, it was at a time when Martha was very ill and not expected to live. Um, early 1970s, she had just given up being on the stage at the age of 76. She and was already 76 back then? Yeah, 1971, she was 76. That time frame just sort of blew, I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. 
She danced for a long time. She she created roles for herself that were less and less physical. So that she could continue to be And more and more dramatic, right? Something like her ballet, full-length ballet, Clytemestra. Or later on even than that, Cortege of Eagles, where she plays Hecuba to the Trojan women. Acrobats of God, another role that she created for herself late in her career all sort of take place in the mind of the lead character. So she could make a gesture, you know, indicating that she, she was going back in her memory, and right. the company dancers come on stage and, and react to re, relive that memory. So she didn't overstay her welcome, basically, like some... Oh, I, I think she did overstay her welcome. You do? I think there are critics at the time. I know I've, I was, you know, pretty young when she stopped dancing. I saw her when I was in high school on stage. Right. I didn't know a thing about her. It was in Michigan. They, she was on tour, and I thought, why is this old lady up on the stage? You know, I mean, I didn't right. get it at all. I've heard stories about people who were devoted to her just being so frustrated and depressed that she wouldn't give up being on the stage. But they said, and then I saw a performance where she had it again. So you know, it so didn't hit all the time, but when it, it hit, hit all the time. it really hit well. Yeah. That's yeah. really, she really was, interesting. She evidently had that innate charisma uh, that a Nureyev had, a Bereznikov has, a Frank Sinatra has, right. a, you know, that animal Well, there's a stage presence that some people just feed off of. Yeah. And, and yeah. I don't know what that is sometimes with, with actors or with, with mm. dancers, but sometimes you can just pinpoint it when yeah. somebody's really up there. You, you can just feel it with yeah. certain, I mean, the greats, the real greats. Really, really great. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So you, how long did you dance for Graham then? I danced all through the 1970s and came back as a guest artist in 81 and 85 and 93 and 94. I mean, sort of between getting married and having children and stuff, I would come right. back and dance. What's American Dance Machine? What was that? American Dance Machine, this was when some contract with Martha had fallen through. A friend of mine was raising money for this new little dance company that was reconstructing the great choreography of Broadway. There was very little record of this great choreography because... Out of Broadway shows? or Broadway out of shows, like Agnes DeMille who did Carousel and Brigadoon and Oklahoma, oh, changed yeah. the course of American musical theater. Right. Agnes, in, with Oklahoma, basically by using techniques she had learned from Martha, she was a student of Martha's, that the dancers would drive the narrative. Dancers were no longer just decorative. Oh. They were driving the narrative. And this changed the course of You can totally see theater. that in Oklahoma as well, too. Totally. So. Lee Theodore was a, a dancer who had been in the original West Side Story, and she understood that this was great American choreography that was disappearing because there was no record of it because the unions would not allow things to be filmed. So she began reconstructing this great choreography, Agnes DeMille and Bob Fosse and Don Sadler and Michael Kidd. And through this friend, he said, go down and audition for these people. And I walked in the door, and the first thing I had to do was sing. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a piece ready or not? No, no. I they brought me in and said, said sing, here's June is busting out all oh, over. Because it's moly. the lead in to Agnes DeMille's June is busting out all over. Did you know it? Um, I, sure, I knew it. Yeah. I knew it. Yeah, I knew. American musicals in those days, sure. Everybody, they'd been on television. Annie, get your gun and Peter Pan. and I was a fan. Um, so they, we had a very young, inexperienced company, and they hired me immediately for this short Did you sing game. your part? I had to sing on stage. Yeah. It was great. 
and dance some of some great American choreography. And because it was a young, inexperienced company, I got several leads. The lead in June is busting out all over, in the Brigadoon Ballets, The Young Bride. One of the things I learned when I walked down there thinking, I don't know how to do this stuff, was that Martha had prepared me. You know, I certainly knew how to prepare a character for the stage. Right. For Martha Graham, I had danced Phaedra, you know, yeah. I, I had danced Joan of Arc. I knew how to do that. The physical vocabulary was completely different, but it was the same technique. You just didn't realize you were. I didn't realize how well prepared I was. You had well no clue you were acting already. That's right. And then when I did, through that sort of more com commercial dance, be invited to audition for some television programs or. I guess whose life is it anyway? They needed a dancer. Right. This was your. Was that your first? Whose life is it anyway? Yeah. And um, you were the romantic. I was the girlfriend to Richard Dreyfuss's sculptor, who becomes a quadriplegic. She's not in the play, but they wanted to add her for the movie, just to emphasize a little bit more that he was not Likeable. able to move from the neck down, <laughs> and she was a dancer. Uh, and how was that? When? What year was that? Eighty-one. Eighty. Eighty-one. How was that experience? Yeah. Incredible. You I liked mean, it. Oh yeah, it was such fun. It was, um, it was very interesting because Martha had taught us to that we had total control over our own performances. You know, we had to invest ourselves in them. When you're on stage, oh. nobody can edit you. Nobody yeah, can. Not you know, quite the same. For not me. the same. <laughs> not the same. Not at all. And so um, that That's that, that was kind of a learning experience. Do you still want to act, or are you? Oh, you know. You're so busy with this. I'm so busy. I, I, I would love to have some little opportunity to do some little something, but I, I'm really, You really can't take the time to... I can't take the time. And, you know, I know, you know, you have to keep those muscles active, the yeah. acting muscles, the singing muscles. It's, it's really hard. It's the same hard. with art, right? Same with dance. If yes. you don't do it, then... The, yeah, and it's, it's very singularly focused. Yeah. You, you can't just drop in on it. No, and I think so. it's a rarity that people can do all those things at once. I think to stay yeah. focused in, in a medium right. is really important. Um, I wanted to go back to, uh, you were talking about the idea that you couldn't, um, the history of the stage and those dances from theater weren't documented. Right, exactly. So I had heard you say this in another interview as well, too, that there were, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, 181 rough, roughly dances of Martha Graham's. Right. But only 50 to 55 can be reconstructed, reconstructed dance now to life. because right. there's no documentation for it. Right, right. So, how does that? This leads into a bigger question for me. How do you document now? Obviously, video. Yeah. Well, yes, documenting has become so much more affordable that we do video much more. And this was actually a tag to our archives conversation that it's it's a constant. Thing to database the archives that exist, but at the same time we're constantly creating new, new ephemera, content. new content. You know, we've been on the road. We bring home the programs. They go into our program database. You know, the new photos are coming in all the time from various things. And uh, we've done a couple of open rehearsal studio showings this week that we videotaped that now have to go into our database. So um, it's sort of a, a constant keep up with what we're creating thing. So when you, uh, you sent me uh, a video to take a look at, and we'll talk about that a little bit, uh, mm -hmm. Primitive Mysteries. Right. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But when I'm watching that, it's a pan, it's like a full, it's, it's a pullback. 
It's so a, you yeah. don't have a close-up. It's up an of archival it. video, so you see the full stage. You yeah. do a full stage cut. Do right. you have, when you're documenting these things, do you do close-ups on some of these actors or not? Um, or, or dancers, excuse me. When we're doing something in-house, no, because I just said it's affordable, but it's not affordable okay. to have two cameras. You can't. Um, and to edit all that, too. And to edit all that. And if we're doing it in a theater here in New York, yeah. it means there's a union expense, not not for our dancers, but for the technical crew, the union crews oh, of the I theaters. Didn't even think about that. And, you know, it, it's it's expensive. So Would it be beneficial anyway though? We want these films to be able to reconstruct this dance in you ten years or twenty years. A dancer being able to see what's you actually need to taking see place. What's taking place, the way they're using the back, what that hand is doing behind the back before I never they even turn how the tip of the head. Um, another technique which we've used over the years is to shoot it um, without the costumes. So you can see what the legs are doing under the skirts. You, right, you know, because they cover everything up. Yeah, that's right. So some of our university licensing, we license uh, dances to university departments and sometimes high schools. Um, some of what they have done for us for our very architectural works, such as Primitive Mysteries or Panorama, which is 33 dancers moving in these dynamic percussive groups around and through each other, very geometric patterns. They they dress the different groups in different colors so that oh. when someone's going to reconstruct it, they can see and put numbers on their backs. They can see who's A dancer doing what. can say, okay, I'm number I'm number 29. She's in a red right. shirt and I'm going to follow her pattern around the Smart. stage. Yeah. It makes it easy too. Yeah. Yeah. It's all it well, I wouldn't say anything makes it well, easy, easy, but it's it's uh, more approachable. Yeah. More approachable. Mm -hmm. Commissioning works. Yes. Part of your role as artistic director, mm -hmm. is that to commission new works as well, too? Right. So easy to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long journey. When I took over as artistic director, and of course through Martha's Long Life, we only performed the works of Martha Graham. So getting to my ability to commission new works is a bit of a journey. It didn't happen right away. The first thing that needed to happen when I came in as artistic director, we were about uh, five to six million dollars in debt. In a way, when I look back on it, <laughs> not at the time, but it may have been a good thing because no one had ever asked, who is the Martha Graham Dance Company going to be without Martha Graham? Right. Even though when I came in, it was uh, a little over 10 years after her death. And there had been a lot of craziness and desperation happening in well, those. The lawsuit. The, uh, the lawsuit. Figuring and, out where the direction of the yes. company. But no one had ever really strategized about it. There was such trauma after Was there her a death. board? There was a board, but there was also her heir installed himself as artistic director and um, was not qualified um, to run a dance company. So uh, how did they find you to come back in and, I mean, obviously you were one of the principals. Right. They found me, I was in Los Angeles, and I was coming to New York one week a month to work for the Dana Foundation. I was running their arts education granting programs. And in my time in Los Angeles, I had traveled to restage Graham Ballets for the Dutch National Ballet or the Paris Opera Ballet or a few universities in the LA area. I was a satellite for the Graham right. Company. During my time at the Dana Foundation when I was in New York, they were gathering materials for the court case, and I got involved in that, and I had to testify. And, it's intense. Um, so I was involved in that, and as it emerged that we owned our assets, the board turned to me to begin the R&D, to oversee the archives. That was in 2002. 
At the same time, I was, um, as through my Dana Foundation work, I was part of, um, there were some very important audience participation studies, audience benefits studies going on, surveying audiences in the symphony, theater, dance, and finding out what audience participation hinged on. Surveys that ask questions like, is the babysitter too expensive? Is the parking too far from the theater? They're hitting everything. Everything. You know, what keeps a work of art you've just seen in your mind? Right. Turned out that the water cooler effect was important. You know, how people talked about it after a show. What happened the show. next day? Yeah, exactly. One of the things I learned, as I, I was also in the back of my mind thinking, what do you do with a modern dance legacy? For these audience benefits, it turns out people wanted a richer, deeper experience in a shorter amount of time. They wanted much more information. This is the information age. They didn't want to go into a theater and sit down and do a cold read of look at something was and yeah. feel stupid about what it was. Yeah. Um, so as I came into the Graham Company and as we need to strategize about how we moved forward, I realized we needed to give our audiences every point of access that we could possibly think of. We need to ask, what's a modern dance equivalent to a museum's audio tour? Right. The opera's super titles. Right. How do we bring context? To content. The, to content, to the Graham yeah. classics. And this was a, a larger question for modern dance in general because it's, it's a young art form. It's like American jazz. It's only over 100 years old. And it was all driven by revolt. It was all each generation saying, out with the old, in with the new. So the art form itself only trained itself to value the new and trained audiences so, to value the new. And you're, you're producing pieces that were based on revolt, and now they seem... That's right, and now they seem dated. Old hat. And people don't appreciate old hat. It was a problem for me, but it was a problem for the field in general. We had to discover how do we keep the classics of this young art form, these new classics, they weren't classics before, right. um, how do we keep them relevant? Uh, how do we create an audience for them? Because right. audiences had turned away from them. What I had to do to get us out of debt, and what I had to do because it was what the art form and the legacy required of me, was to turn us around from being this goddess-centric organization where she was on a mountain and audiences came to us, yeah. turn around and a 180 and say, what do we have to offer these audiences? Right. I'm getting to commissioned works, I promise. No, no, no. This is, this is, this is exactly why I, I asked the question. So I started small, and we were in debt. And I, so I started, started inexpensive, spoken introductions. You know, I would walk out on so stage out and, and say, talk for five minutes, a little yeah. few things to look for in these dances. Sometime, in early years, I was still commuting from L.A. Sometimes we had the dancers do it. Just come out and talk to the audience. Very mm -hmm. short. Not set telling them you're going to see the greatest thing in the world because no, then they, right. if they don't like it, they feel again like they don't know what, like there's something wrong with them. Right. Contextual programming, kind of doing a, a chronological, how Martha Graham discovered her revolution, showing some of the old dance she did. Broke this involve the school as well, then too, for you? Yes, the school also, you know, began finding points of audience access, you know, in lecture demonstrations and in the lesson plans we create for the public schools that we work in. It's, it, it was a cultural shift for the whole organization. And the school itself doesn't, it's not everybody in the school is going to school to become a dancer in the company. Right, right. It is an open program for people of all ages, right? That's right. And as in the course of the last 12 years, our curricula has shifted as well because, yes, we're 
the core of what we offer is the Martha Graham technique, but we consider that technique to be foundational, that it can build a dancer that is so strong and so expressive. Because it's based on core. Because it's based on core muscles, that they can go off and do just Any about anything dance, in right? the dance world. Right, exactly. We slowly dug our way, not so slowly, because my executive director is brilliant, Lou Rue Allen. We got out of that debt in probably a year and a half. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, we offered creditors How did you do 10 that? cents on the dollar. Oh, you, you yeah. basically went back and renegotiated right. Right. Dead. We discovered um, that Martha's heir, we just, one of our board members noticed that Christie's or Sotheby's was selling a, a mock-up of a Noguchi <laughs> set and um, could not have belonged to the heir, had to be developed for the yeah. center. So we negotiated and, and got a chunk of change. good chunk of change to pay off that Fantastic. 10 cents on the dollar right. to the creditor. So, so that was being manipulated. But at the same time, we were meeting commitments. We didn't want to cancel any bookings that we had for the company. Yeah. But we were meeting them, creating programs that did not need to freight our Noguchi sets, um, creating programs that had narration right. and media. But for people who don't know, it costs money to ship all of oh this stuff. Oh, my gosh. It's Lots gotten more money. and more expensive. Yeah. Um, so we were designing programs that uh, fit any venue and any budget, which is what we should have been doing anyway, but we right. were kind of forced into it by this debt. Yeah. So it was a it was a perfect storm of need and It made need. you redirect the, the focus yeah. and the efforts to actually right. fix the legacy. Fix the legacy and, right. and serve. Redirect attention into where it needed to right. be with, with the, the whole yeah. history of the program anyway. So with all of these experiments in audience, audience access, the spoken introductions, the contextual programming, unusual partnerships, um, online video competitions, I don't know if you've discussed oh, No, that. I didn't see that. Remash, the Clytemestra Remash Challenge we did in 2008. Oh, really? Yeah. We were also the first company to stream a rehearsal live. I mean, we really, you know, for being a sort of a venerable right. old company, we've been really experimenting and pushing. The but boundaries. that probably brings that brings new people in. That's the point. Audience access. You're bringing right? new people into. I said, you know, there's a huge audience online. How do we, how do we start accessing and participate? Them? Not just give yeah. them content, but right. bring them into participating in the content. Right. So. Clyde Master. Oh, commission. Okay. So. <laughs> Yes. So in 2007, we had an opening night here in New York City on the anniversary of 9-11. And we wanted to commemorate the date. And we didn't have much money, as usual, or much time. Um, but a board member gave us a few thousand dollars. And we asked three important young choreographers, kind of friends, that we could get to, yeah. if they would do a one-night-only thing for us. And um, spew out a choreographic reaction to a film of Martha Graham dancing her iconic solo Lamentation, the solo of grief. She's in a tube of fabric that yeah. she twists and stretches. Very famous. Very wrenching. So, um, we, and we said it's one night only. Spew it out. We, you each get 10 hours of rehearsal. You have to use public domain music. Simple dancewear costumes, simple, uh, no sets, no props. And they were into it. They were into it. I said, keep it under four minutes. That's how long Lamentation is. You can use any number of dancers in the company. It was uh, Azure Barton, uh, Larry Kegwin, and Richard Move. And on that night, that anniversary of 9-11, we showed the film of Martha and these three variations, one after another, no stopping for bows or anything. 
we had these three gorgeous gems of contemporary choreography that totally were organically tied to the legacy, who right. we are. Perfect demonstration of how Graham's creativity, her revolutionary, innovative spirit. Can, not a Graham dance, not a but Graham in dance, the spirit of Graham. In the Graham. spirit, how, how it can influence right. today's choreographers and, and contemporary art. And of course, we started performing them immediately for the rest because of that season yeah, yeah. around the world, commissioning more. We now have 12. Really? We've got two commissions this year for new Lamentation variations. Because it basically, it doesn't show, it does the same thing that she was doing with bringing in dancers and having them be a voice. Right, right. It's, and we, do, we don't ask the choreographers to, to speak in the Martha Graham technique style. We want with their that core, diverse... So you change it up. Oh, we want the, the choreographers to speak in their own voice. We commissioned Sonia Taya from So You Think You Can yeah. Dance, who's also a wonderful choreographer outside So You Think You Can Dance, and Michelle Dorrance, who's a tap dancer, to choreograph for the dance. Now, she did not make our company tap dance, right. um, but it was a very syncopated, rhythmic lamentation variation. So we want diverse voices reacting to Martha. So this was the launch of our commissioning, these lamentation variations that continue. And once we demonstrated that very new contemporary art could be in conversation with the Graham classics, work really well. could work, we started commissioning more substantial 20, 25 minute works, again, from a range of very diverse voices. So this was essentially your test. Yeah. Those, we didn't know it was, but it was. It really was. <laughs> and it worked. And then that's how you sort of expand and grow that's into right. it. So I had written you and I said the only thing I really wanted to just bring up and mention a little bit was Noguchi because right. I have an affinity for Noguchi. Mm -hmm. And you had sent me Primitive Mysteries right. to watch and mm -hmm. you said this was sort of the definitive or what you considered her definitive mm -hmm. modernist piece. Right. One of the things about Primitive Mysteries, which is from 1931, it's a... Is it it's really? A, yeah. It's a work that I was would, inspired. You, you had no idea. Right? I had no idea that it was it's modern. <laughs> it, it, it continues so to be modern, right? On point. Yeah. I could not tell that it was from that time period. Yeah. It's 1931, and it, it's the dance where the world. I mean, Martha was known. She started in 26 doing her own work, but in 1931, that got like 23 curtain calls. She almost didn't put it on stage. She was so afraid that it was going to fail. Really? Yeah. And the audience was stunned, stunned. And the reviews the next day said, you know, a genius is among us. She, well, you, what you had said, she created her own modernist ritual, right? Yeah, sacred ritual. Because it's, it's inspired by two things. It's inspired by her love and respect for the um, rituals of the Native Americans of the Southwest, which she saw in the late 1920s and 30s, when she would have really seen a very pure version of, those of what things. was coming out of those communities. That's right. And the Christian myths that were also influencing the Southwest, but of course she was brought up in... The, well, know, and this is broken down into three sections too, right? It's in three sections. The first is Hymn to the Virgin, which is, is kind of celebrates the birth of Christ. The second is Crucifixus, which is the crucifixion. And the third is Hosanna, which is celebration of the resurrection. Um, but it's modernist, so it's very st stripped down. These things are not acted out or anything like that. It, and it's very geometric. The, Incredibly geometric. The point about the Primitive Mysteries is that Graham was innovating with the use of space on stage, that it wasn't a row of swans that looked good in a diagonal. You know, it was not decorative 
um, symmetry. She began to use walls of dancers and lines of force. And that was the first time this had been done? Pretty much. I mean, you can trace it back to her dance, Heretic, in 1929, where she's a figure in white and these walls of women in black. Well, and it's very much in that in that uh, sense as well, too, that's because right. you have a singular individual that's being played around with. There were three separate groups of four women in each group, that's right? That's right. That's right. So she's she's playing with space on stage. She's creating volume and she's, out of this negative space inside right. of it. And lines of power. Exactly. As the modernists thing. and Caro and Noguchi and all of these mm, people. Exactly. So by the time we get to 1935, she has mined this idea of the architecture on stage of her dancers in works like Primitive Mysteries, but also Celebration, which was described like an atom exploding, 12 women in a, a jumping frenzy. She, what she wanted was to continue this idea, but to give her audiences a sense of location on stage. And she turned to her friend Isama Noguchi and said, how can we make this happen? He also was interested in what he said of turning the nothingness of the space on stage into form and function. Yeah. And what he created for her for that first set was for a solo titled Frontier. He put a small fence upstage center right. on stage and bolted two long white ropes behind yeah. it together that stretched up to the front part of the proscenium. It was inspired by Martha's conversation with him about how the frontier railroad tracks were an image that came to her about the frontier because her family traveled from Pennsylvania to the West Coast quite often. Right. And, and the idea of how those railroad tracks came to a horizon line in the distance. Right. Yeah. So Noguchi created that with these two ropes that on the one hand, brought the audiences into this small little fence on the frontier, right. and at the same time, threw the volume of the space on stage space. Right. out over the heads of the audience. Through an incredibly simple gesture that That's doesn't right. take away from the dancers. That's right. He uses this again in Appalachian Spring, where the, the onstage space is extended out into the audience. They are referring to the great American plains, the limitless space out in front of them over the heads of the audience. Right, they're sort of, beyond. they're posturing to look right. a, out a beyond, but That's well right. standing upon That's the, right. the but actual. But it's created, if you look at the set for Appalachian Spring, it's created by this, uh, you know, sort of uh, the angles. The same way that the, the, same way the, the ropes, ropes were. Frontier. The, to create the, the horizon angles, line. The beams of the house are very much draw you into a perspective. The thing for me and the Noguchi and the, the Graham, all of the ones that I have seen of that and going back and looking through, you're much more familiar than me. It seems to me that the object doesn't come alive until it's activated by a dancer, mm -hmm. essentially. Mm -hmm. It's like uh, Anthony Caro would talk about how he didn't want to talk about a sculpture in terms of line shape form. He wanted to talk about it in terms of architecture. Mm -hmm. And for me, I always associated it with a human body in a space with an object activates that object. Right. So mm -hmm. it always appeared to me that Noguchi was doing much the same thing. He's creating an object that activates once a dancer is reacting with it. Exactly. Um, and we as dancers were trained by Martha to imbue the Noguchi sculptures or any props or uh, costumes that we were working with on stage with that uh, importance. Really? Or with that 
needed sacredness or um, you know depth. Um, uh, meaning. They're, they're we not, we, not we had to invest them with meaning. Right. Yeah. They're not just props That's for you right. to create your thing. They are an active right. ingredient in right. the entire process. Exactly. So, uh, you know, the Noguchi sets are very abstract, as is the Graham movement. Audiences can react to it in any number of different ways. Which the I think makes a great work of art, though, too. Absolutely. Right? Of course. That it's open for interpretation. That's exactly right. So the job of the dancer is to increase the meaning without dictating the meaning. Yeah. Did she ever talk anything else about uh, working with Noguchi in those collaborations? Well, you know, when I was in the company, he was around. That's what I was wondering. Yeah, yeah. He would, He, you know, his studio was out on Long So Island he would come City. by and... Yeah. He would come by. Watch the productions. Would he adjust mm -hmm. this? Not so much. They were not still collaborating in the years that so I was, was in the set. company. Mm -hmm. But it he would come set. by and... Yeah, just visit Martha, and she would try to talk him into doing things. I think some of the things we did during my era was repurpose some of the Noguchi sets, taking ones that were used for one ballet... And, and turning them into another Reconfiguring piece. them. Really? Yes. And you, in turn, have been able to do that as well, too. Yes, although... I don't know that we've ever repurposed a Noguchi set at this point for any of our new works. Interesting. Um, but we do repurpose the Graham choreography. Um, oh, you do? Yeah. Um, we've done uh, several, again, and this is under our experimental umbrella. We find that the Graham material itself is really rich. For example, we were hired by an Italian director. He was doing a one-man show about Picasso, and he saw us perform in Trieste, came backstage and said, I know exactly what I want to do. And he hired us to create a dance backdrop to this one-man show on Picasso of Graham choreography. Oh, that's cool. But they already had chosen the Defia music that Picasso right. enjoyed and the Diaghilev of costumes that he had designed. And so... What I got to do was take pieces of primitive mysteries and, and mash into... them with Dark Meadow and add a little piece from this solo satiric festival song and create a new configuration of a five-minute dance. That's going to be so exciting for you, too. Oh, it was really exciting. And the Graham material, as I say, is so rich. It, it was now totally in the service of a different theatrical event. Yeah. And yet totally appropriate and integrated. But it goes right back to that thing where it's not so limited and that it tells you one specific thing, it leaves it open for interpretation. That's right. That's right. That's why and she's somebody, a modernist. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's so abstract. cool. You reconstruct the new Gucci sets. Yes. Oh, well, we've had to... Because, because they get the, used and They worn get or? used and used. I mean, you know, Noguchi said art should disappear. Uh, you know, he liked art that was useful and practical, which is why he designed furniture and lamps right. and things like that. And the sets he designed for Martha were totally made to be manipulated by the dancers. They wanted different levels on the stage and pathways that his sculptures on the stage provide, but, but we scramble all over them and leverage ourselves against them and bleed So how and often are you them. having to re... Oh, I would say every 20 years or so. Oh, that's not too bad. Depending on which ballet. Some ballets get danced more often. Do you others. still have any of the originals? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we do. You just I mean, don't use them? We don't use them much. We beat them up a lot. And... That's pretty amazing. <laughs> Janet, um, thank you so much for taking the time. This it's has a been pleasure. incredibly informative. This is only part one, right? <laughs> I would love to talk to you again. I will be back anytime. Yeah, no, this is amazing. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure.